going deep. I feel like Halo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That's right, it's another edition of the Going Deep podcast. Welcome to the month of May. It is a celebration that we will have throughout the month, both on sports and on this podcast. It is Asian Heritage Month. So we want to celebrate so many Asian Canadians doing good things inside and outside of sport. And that will be the theme throughout this episode. We've actually talked to our first guest before on this very platform, but I've gone a bit deeper. There's a profile of Phil Wizzer, the breakdancer extraordinaire, on Sportsnet's social platforms and website. It's an outstanding video because, let's be honest, breaking is somewhat visual. If you're listening to this, you can go through the show notes and see that video. But I really want to talk to Phil about... What is coming up in his life? What is coming up in the breaking community, including Red Bull BC1, the Canada camp happening in Vancouver in the middle of this month, but also why his role in the sport is so important because of his Asian heritage as a proud Korean Canadian. Phil Wizard, I'm going deep. Phil, good to catch up with you again. Uh, Love following you literally uh whether it's going to events that you've been at or following you uh, on social media and either way living vicariously through you it's it's been a, a big year why don't we start there because you know you've had a couple competitions recently part of the world dance sport breaking for gold series uh, including a big one in brazil where you play second uh, talk to me about what the this run has been like and and what that runners met runners up metal feels like yeah it's definitely uh, uh an intense year you know and i think as the year progresses it gets more and more intense and every event gets more intense um, because our ranking is constantly changing this is a new system for us we're kind of deep into the qualifications um in the previous event in kitakushu in japan I, I really did not do as well as i would have liked i think i placed 10th um and so this going into this one i really wanted to podium um so I'm happy with the result. Obviously, a gold medal would have been preferable. And I think I lost by literally one vote. It was one vote on the second round that kind of um, made the decision. So it was a very close battle. And it just goes to show, you know, uh, every day is a little bit different. Um, but I'm happy with the runners-up medal. Uh, again, my goal was the podium, and I kind of achieved that goal. And it'll just be hopefully better from here. Giannis recently, uh, when the Bucks were knocked out of the NBA playoffs, had a quote about failure versus success. I don't know if you saw the clip, but a reporter asked him if this year was a failure, and he systematically, you know, objected to the question because as a high-level athlete, you're always striving for uh, success, and if you don't get it, it doesn't mean that you're a failure. You're just taking steps towards future success. I, I wonder what that means to you because you talk about the fact that you, you place 10th, and in this case you place 2nd, it is a subjective sport by definition. And so you know how you feel about your performance, but also as a competitor, you want to place well. 
how do you reconcile how you perform both externally based off of others' gratitude, but also how you feel about your performance in a creative space? Yeah, awesome. That's a that's a really good question. I think you kind of hit the nail on it. It is still subjective at the end of the day. And it's funny because in my opinion, like every event is also different because the judges are always different. And it is based on the subjectivity of the judges. You know, there is a judging system that they base uh, their values on. And I think for, uh, to be fair, that judging system is quite fair. But um, yeah, it is subjective. So you do have to find that balance of like, I put more, I put more emphasis on how I feel. So going into Brazil, I felt really good. You know, I felt good going into it, especially like kind of leading up to it a few weeks ago, I was sick kind of going into Brazil. And so all I wanted to do was perform the best I can. And for me, the big thing was for me to be happy with the way I dance, uh, the way I want to authentically represent myself in the way I approach this dance um, and also just have fun. And I think I did that and I, I had a lot of fun. I connected with the uh, crowd and audience. People could feel like the authentic energy that I was giving out. And I felt very proud of myself. Uh, coming out of that competition so that's why like honestly i wasn't bummed like losing in the finals i was like oh you know what i'm happy because i felt good and i'm not going to let the opinions of other people kind of dictate how i feel i felt good that's all that really matters to me yes a gold medal would have been even better but again i i go into these events knowing that i'm putting my art on the line and it is the subjectivity of others if i feel good that's the most important thing and i love the quote that you were saying to me success really is like going into each event and coming out knowing that i did the best that i can and that i felt good about it regardless of the results and if the results match it that's awesome but if they don't hey listen at the end of the day i'm happy with how i did well you're building to something and everyone in the circuit is building towards uh, qualification and paris and the olympics you know next summer but in a way, if you're really pushing yourself in an aspect where you're not comfortable to land a move, and I don't know if that's the correct terminology, uh, but uh, to land a, a beautiful uh, move or to, to land a, a great performance, you in a way have to push yourself to failure to see like how far can I push the envelope. But I, I am always wondering at the same side for you as a competitor do you want to be saving some things to reveal for the big events potentially the olympics coming up how, how do you you know navigate between those two things of trying to push the envelope the limits of your powers if you will but also you know not giving everyone everything all the time yeah i think for me uh the way i approach my dance has always been like i love creating new stuff so i'm never worried about going to an event and showing my all i want to show my all and then the next event, I'm going to try to come out with something new. So the time in between, the buffer in between, between now and the Olympics, you know, we still have over a year. So I know I'm constantly evolving as a dancer. I'm constantly evolving my craft because that's what I love to do. Like, this is my passion. This is kind of my life. And I put a lot of time into this. And I know from the last event in Japan to this event, there was like a month or two. And I've already become a different dancer. So I know going into Olympics, there's going to be new moves. There's going to be a new fill. So I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about like every event, I want to show the best that I can. Because I think that's an accurate representation of who I am and how I am in that moment, you know, and then the next event, I'm going to do that again, right? And some days it's going to be worse. Some days it's going to be better. Some days it's going to be different, different moves, different outlets, whatever. But the thing is too, like, again, my specialty is kind of my arsenal. I have a lot of moves. And so I feel at most events, I actually don't show all of my moves because in the moment I forget to do certain things or they're, they're, these events are intense. There's a lot of rounds, but in the moment I forget a lot of them. You know, and then after I'm like, oh, I had this, I had this. Okay, in the next event, I'll try this. 
you know, but I, I literally have that every single event. So there's always more for me to show. And that's something that I, honestly, I'm not too worried. Something you've also been spending time on is the Red Bull BC1 Canadian competition and camp that's coming up in your hometown of Vancouver. So I expect you to be territorial over this one. You won't be competing in that, but you've had a huge hand in the curation and the ideation around the camp. What was that process like for you to kind of map out what it looks like and what can people expect? It's awesome. You know, Rebel BC1 is still uh, the most prestigious one-on-one event in the world currently, um, apart from uh, the Olympics coming up. Um, but we've never had anything like this in my city. You know, um, we've had the Rebel Ciphers in Canada, but a camp is a whole different thing. A camp is when they invite a lot of uh, special guests to to kind of throw workshops, events. Um, it's not just breaking, it's all style. So it's this huge kind of festival that happens centered around the city. So I'm super excited to be centered around my city. And yeah, I'm excited that um, Red Bull kind of asked me to to, to uh, help curate it as well. What guests that we should bring, what kind of events that we should be doing. Um, I'm excited to be able to be a part of that process because it's something new for me as well. And yeah, I think it just provides an opportunity. You know, the Canadian scene is still growing. It's a wonderful scene, but it's small and it's still growing. And events like this just give it an opportunity opportunity to grow even further it's also gonna be celebrating the 50th year of hip-hop which is crazy to to think crazy to think how how far it's come uh and what it's reached when you think about that 50 years of hip-hop not just the music but the art form the culture what comes to mind well like you said it's come so far and it's surprising how young it is that's the big thing. And I'm thinking specifically, like, obviously, in the dance element, if you think of other a lot of other dance styles, like ballet, something like that, they've been around for decades, centuries, whatever. Hip-hop is only 50 years old. Uh, breaking is, is younger than that. And it's like the amount of impact that hip-hop culture has had on the world in 50 years is truly incredible. Not just the music, but the art, the emceeing, everything about it um, has kind of impacted the world globally. And again, like even with something like breaking, for me, it's still an art, it's a culture first, but the fact that we're kind of delving into the sport world, it just shows the diversity that hip hop has. You know, it really can transcend um, boundaries and just kind of, uh, and titles and, and go all over the world. So it's an exciting time for sure. It's crazy. Again, like you said, 50 years, like it seems like a long time, but at the same time, it's so young for something that has such a big global impact i think probably wrongly when people look at the canadian hip-hop scene what they really think about is the toronto hip-hop scene right they're familiar with drake they're familiar with carnal they're familiar with directors like little x and you know rt but there is a hip-hop scene of all the shapes and, and sizes in other areas of canada especially in vancouver what is that community like, you know, for you in terms of the breaking community in Van, but also the hip hop community more broadly? Yeah, like you said, I think there's often a, a highlight because in the media and the people that are blowing up and, and have been big for a while, like Drake, as an example, there's a lot of focus on that and that individual and that scene because they think that's all it is. But I think like anything, yeah, it is kind of all over. In Vancouver, uh, specifically, the breaking scene is very strong and has been strong for a long time. You know, you have, um, not to toot my own horn, but some of the best coming out of this city, you know, and, and breaking and hip hop. So I think the shine will happen, but I think with anything, it happens with time. I think you just need patience and people will kind of recognize that over time. Um, but I don't think it's ever a bad thing. Like, even if they're highlighting the East Coast, it's still Canada to me. So I don't think 
Like, you know, it's still Canada. It's still representing Canada. So that's never a bad thing. I think the people that are uh, really into it then will delve deeper. They're like, okay, Drake is out of Toronto. Let's see what else that they have. And people who are into the hip hop scene and into the breaking scene will delve further and be like, okay, in this city, there's this person. In this city, there's, a, there's this person as well. And eventually that'll uh, uh, kind of go out further as well. So, Well, in a way, rising tide lifts all boats. That's certainly uh, the case in terms of the diversity that we have tied to sport in our country. As you know, you're one of the people that we profiled here at Sportsnet for Asian Heritage Month. What's it like for you to be a part of that? But also, you know, in your estimation, why is it important to celebrate uh, Asian Canadians like you? Um, I think it's super important. I think representation is super important. Um, I told this story to Red Bull as well for the Asian Heritage Month, but it's an important thing for me because, like, growing up, um, I remember whenever I played video games or anything growing up in Canada, because anytime you saw a movie, anytime you saw any sort of entertainment, oftentimes the protagonists of the movie or the people that are in the spotlight were usually white, to be to be completely honest, you know? So I remember growing up and playing video games, and when I would create my character, I would create my character as a white person because I thought, like, that's what the protagonist is, right? And I think it really only hit me in the last few years where, like, whoa, that's, like, really messed up, that growing up, I didn't have someone who looked like me to look up to. That's why I think representation is so important. And specifically for me, Asian representation, because obviously I'm Asian, but also, just in general, in the media, in movies, and entertainment, we don't have a lot of Asian representation, you know? I think only recently it's coming out a little bit more, and, and I'm proud to see people like uh, Simon Liu, like people like that that are kind of representing and, and showcasing the talent that Asia has. But I think we definitely need to see more of that. So kids like me growing up from an Asian background can see people that look like them in the, in the spotlight, in the protagonist role, and recognize that, oh, we're allowed to be there. You know, like we can be there too. And I think that's extremely important. Yeah, no question, which is why I love your story, what I love, uh, not just what you do personally, but, you know, what you do at the grassroots ground level. And we'll certainly see that uh, throughout the week coming up uh, at the Canadian BC1 camp. Um, and, and I'm going to have to get out there because I, I will fully admit I'm an example of bad representation because people assume that all black people can dance, and certainly I cannot break dance. So I will have to get in a class to make sure that I keep up with you and some of your uh, van-breaking crew. But thank you for this, man. Always a pleasure. Love following your story, and you know I will continue to, to bother you uh, to document the journey leading up to and after the Olympics as long as you have time for us. No, no, it's never a bother at all. I love talking to you, and I appreciate uh, you following my journey. Really, thank you, man. Thanks so much to Phil. Give him a follow because, you know, I talked about following him on social media. The things that this guy is doing, forget about competitions, just doing in training and practice, mind-blowing. At Phil Wizard, at Phil K Wizard is the handle on IG. There's a reason why he's a Red Bull athlete. There's a reason why he's Red Bull athlete, Lululemon ambassador, because he's taking the sport to the next level. So it's really cool to see him doing it as a Canadian. Speaking of taking sport to the next level, I don't know if you saw in the recent Women's World Championships that happened here in Canada, in Brampton, but there were Canadian hockey jerseys that, one, were fire, but two, leveled up the conversation about the diversity that we have in this country and the diversity that we seek in the sport of hockey. That convo coming up next. I'm going to eat. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson has a show. 
and I'm so happy that you are listening to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad to be at the show. Thank you. Thank you, Grandma and Granddad, to Canadian immigrants, to lovers of hockey. And that's the same for our next guest, Sandy Gill. Her family would gather around and watch Hockey Night, even though some members of the family didn't necessarily understand the sport or even the language. They understand the language of love that comes with being a sports fan. Same is true for her, but she's using her platform to tell stories within sports and tell stories to her students, that's right. She's an educator as well as a celebrity stylist. Lee Singh is one of her famous clients. She's become a huge form of representation within the Punjabi community in Canada and worldwide. And she's designed jerseys that have been the talk of the hockey community worldwide. They're one-of-a-kind Hockey Canada sweaters that were showcased around the Women's World Championships They represented the 14 distinct nationalities that are found in Canada and in the host city, Brampton. And so I wanted to find out from Sandy, where did the idea come from and what has the experience been like? So I literally went to her school and sat down with her after school in her classroom with some of the impressionable minds, her students watching to find out what I was curious about where the idea came to use a hockey sweater to talk about the diversity that is the fabric of our country. So let's listen to and learn from Sandy Gill. If I were to have told you when you were your student's age that you would be growing up to design a uniform for Hockey Canada, your thought would be what? You're joking. (laughs) Um, It wouldn't even be a thought that would come across my mind. How did it become a thought that crossed your mind? (laughs) Um, Well, Hockey Canada reached out to me. I do do a bunch of creative work um, with brands and just in fashion. I have been for the past 10 years. And so they uh, reached out because they wanted to create a jersey that represented the city that was going to be hosting the Women's World Championship for ice hockey. And so it just landed in my email and now it's it's a real thing (laughs) what has your experience been like growing up in canada um it's been very blessed i think compared to where my family comes from i'm very lucky that my parents immigrated to canada and provided me a place to grow where i was i had so many opportunities um, so it's been it's been really great. I love growing up in Brampton. I've lived here my whole life, and uh, just surrounded by diversity and culture and uh, different people. And so that's been, yeah. Tell me a bit about your parents' immigration story and how that informs the person that you are and the work that you do. So my parents' immigration story um, it's it's a long tumultuous story some parts that I probably shouldn't even be sharing on television but um, my dad was basically the chosen one from his side of the family seven brothers four sisters and he was like the chosen one to make it to Canada and bring the rest of his family over and so he immigrated here when he was 18 all by himself and he worked taxi 
factory after factory, taxi after taxi for years and years and brought my mom over. They faced a lot, a lot of hardship, just planting their feet on the ground and just knowing that this could be somewhere that they could raise a family. There was just so many different problems with them actually being able to afford living here, to be able to succeed here. Um, and so they had a very rocky journey just settling in and bringing over my mom and my sister. So that was a lot of my childhood, just hearing about my sister being in India or my, my family just being separated for a very long time. And so that was a lot of my childhood growing up. But um, after a long time, um, which actually seems not too long ago, it feels like my family's finally settled in Canada with my sisters and my nephews and my niece. And um, yeah, we're, it took a long time and a lot of struggle to get here. But um, as, as a family that comes from a very small village in Punjab to be here now is it's it's a blessing for many Canadians part of their assimilation story is a relationship with sport uh, was that the case with your family absolutely yeah growing up I'm the youngest of four girls so my my older sisters were watch sports a lot as well and my the one thing that always comes to mind is like my my grandmother she was only with me I only met her for a very short amount of time and that was when she was living with us in Canada and that was the one thing that she loved to do she loved to watch sports she loved to watch hockey it was easy for her to understand and it was um, it made her feel like a part of Canada and same with my family like watching sports and knowing that this is what the families are doing and this is one thing that gets us all together and we're cheering for one team it was definitely something I saw growing up and following different teams and now as an adult being even more involved in different spaces it definitely reminds me of um, the the team feeling in um, in sports talk to me about the design and the concept of the actual jersey. What was the thought process you had when you uh, attacked the opportunity? Yeah, so I, because what the assignment was to create a jersey that represented Brampton and because it was a city that was hosting the championship and I, for me, I really just, anytime I have some, this sort of task, I like to spend the first few days just brainstorming, like carving out time in my day to just sit and think and write notes or draw sketches about what I want to be the end result or what the feeling that I want to come out of this. Um, and every time I was doing that, I would always see fabrics or prints or patterns or symbols that I saw growing up. And being in Brampton, I grew up around so many different fabrics and um, around so much culture. So that was the first thing that came to mind. And being a Jersey, I knew that it would be a easy way to, to bring fabrics, more fabrics into the Jersey. So um, that, that's, I kind of had that idea and that's when I started drawing sketches and started doing some research on what are the different ethnicities that make up Brampton. Um, what are the fabrics that represent those communities? What are the colors? What are the different patterns? And through that research, I was able to find s several different fabrics that represented all of the ethnicities that make up Brampton and yeah, came up with a couple of designs, went back and forth in placement and, and design. And yeah, here we are. 
as an educator and an influencer, how important is it for you to use opportunities like this to tell a much bigger but more nuanced story? That's a story of my life, I feel like. Um, it's very important. It's probably the most important because every day, yes, I'm an influencer and I have a platform online, but every day I walk through this room and I have 23 young, wonderful students ready to absorb everything that comes out of my mouth. So the responsibility is definitely there. And um, I feel like ever since I, I started doing both of them at the same time. So it was definitely a journey that was happening at the same time. And so feeling that responsibility and knowing that I want whatever I'm doing to inspire these real life students that are in front of me is super important. And it's a, it's a part of everything that I do from making a small post. I'm always thinking about like, oh, so-and-so is going to see this as well as all the other people, my students are gonna see this. Is this a reflection of me? Is this something that I would have wanted to see growing up? Um, so these are, I don't know if that, I could go on for this question forever because it truly is the foundation of me as a person and my work, both inside the classroom and outside. When we were growing up in our country, you didn't really see people that looked like us in leadership positions in education or sport. You get to be a bit of both. What does that representation mean to you? Um, it means it means like it means that we are doing the right thing, and it means that things are changing, and it means that to me it's a it reaffirms that if you do the work and you, if you want to make a change, you can. And um, I again since the beginning, knowing that this kind of work and being in these positions is something I never saw growing up, but knowing that my niece has been seeing it since she was a baby through me or through other people, um, it's huge and it, know, it, it affirms that these children are going to be living in a different world because of these opportunities. With my little interaction with young people, they're not impressed by much. <laughs> what was their reaction when they saw the jersey? They actually, they were part of the journey with me. So they knew while I was working on it because I, they're, when you're with the students every day, they become your best friends. So they knew the whole time. They knew that I was working on this. They were very excited for me. Um, I think even for them, they don't understand how big of a thing it is. Like it's really cool for them to see, but they're not, um, they're super proud of me. I know that because of how they treat me and how they, how, what our relationship is. Um, but they were, yeah, they were shocked. You shared some of the opportunity in the platform and brought them in to design uh, the puck that was being used in yeah. warmups. What was that process like? Yeah, I had the opportunity alongside with the jerseys to create a puck that uh, represented the top three visible minorities in Brampton. And so I do teach art. So within my program of the classes that I teach, I did pitch to them a contest where they could design a puck um, that represented their ethnicity, their, their culture. And so they worked on creating this. A few of them um, participated in the contest and then 
yeah, they were able to create something that was used in the games as a warm-up puck um, that has a beautiful design. The three finalists came together and came up with a design that represented the Caribbean, the Philippines, and South Asia. How important is it for you to break through to them to educate not just via textbooks, but via sport, via art, via culture? It's it's very important, and it's part of um, it's part of what we need. We are supposed to be doing as educators as well. So, um, it's my duty. It's my job, and it's also I would say the easiest way to get through to them. They want to be coming in and talking about sports players and athletes and what they're seeing online. That is what's going to get them engaged and excited about the lessons that they're learning. So I try my best to incorporate their identity, their interests into my lessons, into my classroom and what it looks like and what um, we celebrate in here and what we do in here. Why is it important to celebrate and recognize Asian Heritage Month? Well, in, um, in, in my particular school, the population of Asian students is pretty high. So, and, and I think in, in an area like Brampton and, and Peel, there are, it is one of the bigger, um, the demographic in Brampton is primarily South Asian. So I think it's very important for those things to be reflected in the schools and the lessons so that these students feel supported, represented, and they, they feel at home when they're at school. For you, are you cognizant of the fact that your visibility is giving representation to Punjabi women in a way that we don't traditionally see? I am. I, I definitely am. And I think, um, again, growing up being the youngest of four women, Punjabi, um, growing up in Brampton when things were a lot different than they are now, it definitely speaks to who I am now as, as an adult and, and the work that I do. So I hope that people are inspired and I hope that I'm doing things that make them happy, but it feels right for me and it, it's who I am. You had some collaborators on uh, designing the jerseys. Talk to me about the small businesses that helped you bring it to fruition and uh, the backstory behind the lace on the jerseys. Yeah, so the all the fabrics were sourced from primarily from one location that I've been shopping at forever called Jigjeet Textile. Um, and they are a a historic store in Brampton that has fabrics from almost every community. Um, so I was able to source a lot of my fabrics from there. And then some of the ones that I was unable to, unable to find there, I was able to find through shops online that were able to sell, small businesses online by run by artists that were able to send over fabric. Um, and the lettering on the back was also done by Route 22, which is a small business in Brampton that does hockey lettering, sports lettering, um, and stuff. The laces around the neck, my favorite part, were made by Maya Beaudry. She has a small business called Kokum Scrunchies, and she's a 12-year-old Algonquin from Kitigan, ZB, Anishinaabeg First Nations. So, model, influencer, stylist, jersey designer, and Bentley, uh, educator, uh, of all your ongoing roles, which is the most rewarding? Definitely, without a doubt, being a teacher.
And I think this this year I've been also sharing online that I've had a full circle moment where in the beginning I was pursuing teaching, but it was my backup. It was the, you know, if this creative stuff doesn't work out, I'll just go back to teaching. Um, but this year I actually switched things around and let go of the styling aspect. So I, I no longer dress and, or style people anymore, but I still do creative work, but my full-time job is elementary school teaching. And I could not be more happier that I came to that realization and came back to what I was really supposed to be doing. And lastly, I'm cognizant of the fact that the conversation we're having, the tournament that profiled your wonderful jerseys, it's not far from Pearson International Airport, the biggest airport we have in this country where every day, every hour, immigrants flock into this country uh, and enrich us. It, for them, if there's one thing that they could learn from your family and you and your story, what would it be? Um, the immigrant hustle. I think watching my parents every day work sometimes 18, 19 hours um, all day, like coming home and continuing doing do two jobs, all of that is why we're here. All of that is why I have this opportunity. I am able to teach and work and do all these creative endeavors and travel because I saw them doing a hundred things and being committed to working. and. Um, which means it's a, it's a philosophy in Sikhi to, to work hard and to earn an honest living. And so I think that would be the number one thing that I would tell every, everyone who's immigrating to Canada is the hard work, the consistency, the daily immigrant hustle, that will make you invincible. Well, as immigrants, a big part of it is leaving a better legacy for those who come after you. Um, you're teaching all of us as a country uh, how many beautiful people from beautiful places of the world uh, have come to this country to uh, work hard uh, and get an honest living. So thank you. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much to Sandy Kerr Gale. You can follow her on IG at the Sandy Lion, doing so many good things within sport and beyond using her platform, but she was given the opportunity to use her platform, as she mentioned, thanks to Hockey Canada. So I actually wanted to go a bit deeper as we go deep on this issue to find out, well, who at Hockey Canada thought this was a bright idea? That person is Con B, who's up next on Going Deep. The first thing we'll get you to do is, if you can, just for our audience, just introduce yourself uh, in your role with, with Hockey Canada. My name is Con B. I'm a manager of events revenue generation with Hockey Canada, working within the events and properties uh, department. Uh, luckily, my role for the past uh, few months has been to be one of the organizers of the Women's World Hockey Championship that took place in Brampton, Ontario, um, and uh, got an opportunity to take the lead on some of the cultural engagement pieces we were doing for this event specifically. So. Uh, really looking forward to talking about that today. So, Con, let's talk about it because there was, anecdotally, as much conversation about the action happening on the ice as there were about everything that was going on around the world, including uh, the jersey you know, that we're profiling. 
take me back to the genesis of the idea. How did you come up with it and why did you come up with it? I really have to give Sandy a lot of credit here because in a conversation uh, with her where we basically asked out loud, how do we let people know that we're hosting in Brampton and how are we going to do that loudly and proudly? Um, we were connected to her because she is a local Brampton creative and teacher. Um, and almost immediately she came up with this idea that, you know what, why don't we take these jerseys and um, celebrate the fact that Brampton is so incredibly multicultural uh, and visually do that by the integration of these textiles and fabrics. So I would say it was a very, um, very fruitful conversation that just asked the question, how do we let people know we're in Brampton? And I think the idea that she came up with did that beautifully um, and does so very inclusively. Inclusion has been a part of the hockey conversation for a while because of sadly a lack thereof in many spaces. What were you trying to do to change that given you know the platform that you have? I think it's fair to say that, um, you know, we have an opportunity to grow the game in terms of our fans and um, our players and our officials and our volunteers. And I think that comes with inviting people in, obviously. When you do initiatives like this, the, the ones that Sandy has led, or when you do something as simple as having multi-language signage within the building that the event takes place in, um, we want to drive and, and, and aim for inclusion. And I think if it is, you know, possible for one incremental person to feel more included and, and believe that this space is for them, then that has uh, that means that we've done our job in, in slowly but surely, I think, um, making people feel welcome. I believe it's always been a welcome space, It's um, but it can be daunting if you're not um, familiar with the sport or um, haven't been to our events before, but having such a visual, I think, reminder that the space can be yours and the space um, welcomes you um, was our objective and, 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 and working with Sandy. I think we were able to do that really, really well. What's your personal backstory with the sport in terms of feeling welcome within it? What is the genesis of your relationship with the sport of hockey? Tony, I, I'm a sports fan through and through. If you put a stick in my hand and put me on the ice, you wouldn't want to see that um, play basketball growing up. I am, you know, a, a woman of color uh, working in a sport that um, doesn't see a lot of people like myself. And to, you know, be given the opportunity to help drive that narrative towards a different direction um, is huge for me because I, I do think it is something that can be daunting for folks. But being on the inside of the sport, um, I, I do think little, they're not little, but things like these matter where it just makes you feel a little bit more safe and included and welcome. So for me, it's it's definitely a personal, um, uh, you know, challenge working with my colleagues. And I have the colleagues within the organization to help make that happen. And so I think for me personally, it's 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 luckily my job, but also a passion project I'm able to to drive forward. So um, very important for me personally. The most powerful and I think the most impactful portion of the jersey and the story that it tells, it's obviously a Canadian jersey, it's representing Team Canada, but it reinforces the point that so many people from elsewhere choose to come here. And that's part of the Canadian story where often we assume people who are quote unquote Canadian are people whose families have already been here for generations. 
Mm-hmm. I wonder, what's your uh, family's uh, assimilation story? I am Vietnamese Canadian and uh, moved here with my family, my two little sisters and my parents when I was nine years old. Um, English is uh, technically a third language for me. I grew up in Germany, actually. Um, and so I've always been um, othered in that sense. So so left Vietnam when I was one, um, spent eight years in Berlin and then have been in Canada the rest of my life. It is so salient to me when you do walk into a room and, and you realize you're you're not uh, part of the majority. I would say, though, when you grow up in Kitchener-Waterloo, as I did, and are familiar with Ontario and, you know, having lived in Ontario, sorry, in Toronto and Ottawa, but being in the GTA specifically, you don't feel as othered in um, a, a place like, I'll say, GTA in general. And so for me, the assimilation has been one without its, not without its challenges, but there is sort of this kinship and camaraderie that you have with other, you know, um, first and second generation immigrants that made the experience actually quite homey. There's a lot of um, shared shared experiences, some not so good and some really, really fantastic. Um, but I think it's been, uh, that's part of my Canadian story to, to have been welcomed in and to be able to make a life with my family here. Um, that has welcomed me. So it's been it's been a really good one, I would say, of being a Vietnamese Canadian second gen immigrant um, and having a very fruitful life here. You know, around these tentpole events, specifically in the sport of hockey, we're competing internationally. There's huge amounts of pride uh, in our country, uh, in our national teams and national sports organization. You know, I, I've always said that the Canadians are that are sometimes the most proud are the ones who chose to be here, right? They're, they love this country before uh, they even got here. We're, you know, celebrating uh, in this country, Asian Heritage Month. Um, mm-hmm. For you, whether it is through sport, through a national sports like organization like Hockey Canada, or just more broadly, why is it important to take the time to celebrate um, Asian heritage and, uh, you know, the many Asian Canadians making an impact in our country? It is, you know, this knowledge and celebration that sport, our society, our our social communities, they don't exist without um, members of the um, Asian community. And, you know, I I will say in some spaces, you know, you see more yourselves than in others, but it's still, I think, categorically true that you can say that um, Asian Canadians, um, new new Canadians from from Asian countries, they're they are everywhere and they are contributing and collaborating to make, I think, our, our, our community stronger. And visibility obviously matters. I think that's a theme that we see with, with what we were trying to do with, with this Temple event, for example. But, um, you know, seeing volunteers and seeing, um, you know, uh, staff, obviously, and, and, and spectators and um, those in and around on and off the ice um, really does show that one, it's it's an international event, but two, it's a Canadian event um, in that in that visibility. And so, uh, yeah, I think as a, a Vietnamese Canadian woman, I, I feel there's so much that's been done already by um, my fellow Vietnamese, my fellow Southeast Asians, my fellow Asians. Um, but I think um, continuing to have these these months, these these celebration opportunities just sheds light about how integrated we are already and how we are part of the change that makes things even more I think accessible for for future Asians and for um, others to to sort of celebrate all along too. 
And lastly, you know, sometimes when we look to do storytelling or have profiles, we're solely focused on who's on the ice or on the court or on the field. But as I've canvassed and told stories uh, for our Asian Heritage Month content at Sportsnet, I was struck by the fact that there are so many Asian Canadians working in the sub-economy that is sports, doing amazing things. And so that representation of being able to have an influence in a relationship with sport um, is not just limited to, you know, between the boards or between uh, the white lines. What's it like for you to, to be a part of that, but also mm-hmm. uh, to see it in so many different fields? Yeah, I mean, it's it's funny. So saying I'm a sports fan, I think, you know, when you're at home, Mom and I have cable, you watch a lot more live sports. Um, Hazel May, I think, is one of my first um, memories of seeing representation as a young sports fan growing up. And I, you know, look at, you know, man, many of the major sports networks now and, and other media outlets now, and it's become, it's starting to become not just the uh, the thing that you do because you should, it just is the thing that happens because these are the folks that are the, the best at their job and they're bringing such value, I think, to our lives through storytelling. And so I... I do see this change, and I'm, I'm going to say it, it probably was, yeah, 20 years ago, right, that I would have seen um, the likes of Hazel on TV, and um, it, it's it's amazing, because you know what, we, when we work with these events, you have these school groups that come in, you know, at one point, we had a school group that I would say one in 10 kids was white. It was such an incredibly diverse school, and, and that's what you get from, from the GTA and Peel region specifically. And I know for a fact those were some of their first hockey experiences. And I'll be honest, I'll walk around a little bit more to try to be in front of them a little bit so that they see that folks that look like them work in this space, exist in this space, um, and belong in the space. So I think that increased visibility um, is so important to, one, cherish appreciate as someone who works in the space myself, but then doing our job to not shy, to not be shy about it um, and have a bit of bravado uh, saying that, hey, we belong here and we are doing great work and it's worth being noticed for it. And so um, it's a cycle. It continues and I hope it has inspired other people um, to do the same when it's their turn. Well, I know coming out of the women's world, uh, everyone was disappointed that we didn't necessarily get the color of the medal that we were mm-hmm. hoping for. But, you know, one thing uh, is clear, like given the work of you and Sandy and the team more broadly, um, certainly the tournament was used to champion people of color. Um, and so we're definitely in a much better spot because of it. So thank you for the idea. and Thank you for sharing your perspective. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for giving us an opportunity to talk about it. I think you'll see us doing this sort of thing much more in the future. This was a um, incredible launch pad in, in a sense. It's not that we haven't done this um, sort of initiative before, but we've never done it this so loudly and proudly and um, would love to show, you know, the world and, and Canada what we have up our sleeves for future events. So thank you for letting us talk about it today. Actually, you know what? I, I want to get you to talk about one more thing. Um, sure. I lied. So the, representation and the signification of the jersey is one thing and that's really powerful but there's a bit of compound interest where you're taking the jerseys and auctioning them off for a good cost where did that idea come from and uh, what's that going to look like 
we had um, so our initial run of jerseys, um, we had five. And uh, one was um, obviously and very rightfully gifted to Sandy. I think that's a great keepsake for her to have to be able to continue telling that story. We'd love to see her wearing that throughout um, her communities and continue telling that story. Um, one will be at the Hockey Hall of Fame, which I think is incredible when you think about the company that that jersey will keep with those incredibly historic artifacts. And um, one will be left with the city of Frampton, rightfully so, because it is their, um, their host, the host city that we were in, and they welcomed us with such open arms, um, which left two jerseys that we wanted to make available for um, the public. And, you know, that jersey was paraded around the venue and everywhere you went, um, especially in and around those player of the game presentations, fans would stop. Anybody who was wearing them, hey, where can I buy this? Hey, where can I get this? And that is such a wonderful, wonderful thing to hear that people want their hands on this, you know, non-traditional looking jersey. But I think that's the beauty in it. And so we made two available for auction, which uh, benefits the Hockey Canada Foundation, foundation, which again will um, support, you know, hockey initiatives for a lot of the times, you know, new Canadians who maybe not um, could not afford to buy equipment or or have um, a way into hockey experiences. So in a really beautiful roundabout way, um, I think it it um, continues the legacy of what we're trying to do to be more inclusive um, and then hopefully uh, remove some barriers uh, for folks to be able to step into the ice for 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 the future. Thanks so much for Khan for making the time listen, whether it is the sport of hockey or Hockey Canada itself. Not all the conversations around it of late have been positive. Some that we've had on this very platform, but it's important to shed light that not everything is negative either. And there's a great, great learning lesson and a great positive story coming out of what happened with those sweaters and coming out of being intentional about celebrating, recognizing and learning around Asian Heritage Month. That's what we hope we did with this episode. That is what we intend to do throughout this month. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.